Welcome to The Trauma Tales, a production of Third Star Media and Shanna White Psychology. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma and suicide. If you don't think that you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath and come back another day. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and the elders in all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and am committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit. But what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma and highlight its impacts and, most importantly, to help those who live through trauma to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults. I try to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot. And now, you will too. Hi everybody, welcome back to The Trauma Tales. Today we have Elizabeth with us. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. No worries. So tell us a little bit about a period of trauma in your life. So when I was in high school, um, I wasn't so much trauma for myself, but I was a person who liked to be there for everybody else. So Mm. I was a bit of a fixer, um, needed to make everybody feel good and happy I was the person that everybody would come to if they had Mm. (laughs) they had problems yep (laughs) so through a lot of that um everything was okay until probably in about year 10 I started to notice that I was getting sort of really overwhelmed and I had friends that were making not so great choices in their lives I could see the consequences of those actions such as you know drugs criminal activity Mm -hmm. and they couldn't so I'm also a warrior so for me I could see people that I cared about doing things that weren't great and I would worry about them so it was starting their trauma would start to sort of almost infect you Mm -hmm. so we call that vicarious trauma so it's like um if you watch a horror movie for example and then after you watch the horror movie you go to bed and have nightmares or you think every noise in the house is is you know norman bates coming through the window oh yes that and you you're sort of re you're sort of living that you're you've internalized 
that experience from the movie into your own life and that's often quite often what we do with with the trauma of others is we internalize it onto ourselves and when that is so so common in um caring professions so anyone that works in in say health community services uh to taking on the traumas of other people starts to build up after a while so it sounds like that's kind of what started to happen for you when you were in year 10 yep so what absolutely how did it impact on you um well initially I found myself constantly thinking about everybody else you know obviously I was at school Mm -hmm. with them during the day Mm. if somebody had a day off from school and I hadn't heard from them I would be worrying where are they what are they doing are they okay um I would spend a lot of time checking in with with everybody but it kind of got to that point of I would ask somebody if they were okay this this one particular friend of mine and he would always respond with I'm fine and I wouldn't believe him because there was nothing to tell me that he was fine other than him saying it mm. Um, he was getting quite heavily into into drugs and juvenile criminal activity, so things like, you know, tagging and just silly stuff. Mm-hmm. But the impact that it was having was quite significant, um, not only on him but also on our social circle. Okay. So that was, um, that was very intense. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so he was going through his own stuff and he was obviously oh, – well, sounds like he was acting out um, sort of behaviours from his own trauma and you started taking that on as your vicarious trauma. So mm-hmm. you started becoming anxious and stressed and overwhelmed because of what was happening for him. Yep. So what was happening for you when you started to get overwhelmed? Um, it was funny. It didn't it, – it sort of it, – it took its time to, to manifest mm-hmm. over oh, – quite a long period of time and the looking back now I can see the consequences of that spend many years after high school as well but I would start to feel I was constantly anxious um you know disrupted my eating my sleeping mm. so I wouldn't wouldn't eat very much I would sleep a lot oh, okay. um, I also started self-harming yeah as a way of trying to release some of that because, again, looking back, I think it was my feeling of helplessness because I couldn't fix it. I couldn't make it better. I couldn't make him happy in the way that he needed to be because he was actually also dating a very good friend of mine who was part of the same social circle. So I could see the impact of his behaviour on her and she was always sad and upset. So I was trying to make her happy as well as him happy because that would make them happy and it... I liken it these days to being very much a a psychic sponge. Mm. So I would suck up everybody's stuff until it got too Mm. too much for me. And the sponge gets too heavy. Mm -hmm. Mm. So I noticed that you dropped a little bomb and then quickly moved on from that. So of course I'm coming back to it. You said that for you it started manifesting, you know, in your sleep and in your eating, but you mentioned self-harming. What did that look like? I would cut. When did that start? Probably more significantly in sort of the start of, of year 11. Mm-hmm. So back then, 
you know, in the Stone Ages, people could still leave school in year 10, <laughs> whereas now they yeah. can't. So back then, the my core friendship group that this was sort of part of, there were... I think the difficulty was so there was this one significant person that was having these behaviours and and this impact, but there were other internal things happening within the group, like not not huge stuff, but just that sort of that extra straw, you mm. know. So there were lots of little, not even conflicts, just things happening with other sort of groups within our group, um, which of course I was trying to to fix and sort out as well and then the end of year 10 and and the whole group sort of splintered so people left school and went off and did other things but there was still like a thread of connection there Mm -hmm. so I was still aware that stuff was happening and I would you know talk and there's still news and still catch up with people but I was almost less able to fix things than I was in year 10 and so yeah probably the start of year 11 is when it started more so um do you remember the first time you self-harmed not directly I know I was at home not back then I was still living with my parents and It was early hours of the morning. I was one of those people that would sit up reading Mm -hmm. and I'd always get into trouble (laughs) because I'd have the light on. Um, Yeah, and they'd sit under the door. door. Yep. (laughs) Same. Yep, mum would knock on the door, turn that light out. No, I'm, you know. Did you ever do the trick under the blankets with the torch? Yep. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yep. Also wasn't particularly successful. (laughs) No. We thought we were so smart. We did. We did. It just didn't happen. But yeah. so delightfully dumb. Yep. (laughs) I kind of wish my kids do that these these days. <laughs> yeah, well, they'd be reading more. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So early hours of the morning. Yeah, I'd I'd been I'd been up reading, and what was happening in your head? Um, I don't, I don't really know. I tend to. My choice of reading materials is very wide range hmm. um but I tend to to read things according to my mood mm-hmm. as well um which isn't always a good thing because if I'm in feeling in sort of a dark space I'll pick a, a darker book to read I've always read books looking back as a child I probably shouldn't have read so <laughs> um <laughs> yeah hands yeah. up hands up yeah. in the studio yeah that's yeah every one of us yeah um, yeah, looking back now. But how cool did you think you were, right? Yeah, it was just, it was weird. And the concepts are different. So my um, grandmother used to love Virginia Andrews books. So Flowers oh, in the Attic yeah. and stuff like that. So I, I was reading them when I was 10. Yeah. 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 Reading them again as an adult, I've gone, ooh, that's yeah, explains some... why I felt the way I did when I read them. Yeah, that stuff's messed up. Do you know what mm. I actually picked up? The prequel um, that's the story of the the grandmother. Oh. Yeah. It's, I only found it a few years ago at my friend's house. And I went, what is this book? She's like, here, read it. It's amazing. Um, but I totally get that. And I think that because I actually do the same thing when I've had 
but almost like the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Like I read heavier stuff when like my workload is lighter. Mm-hmm. And then when my workload gets really heavy, I tend to read more lighter sort of easier stuff to sort of consume. Um, but I think we do that with music as well a lot. You know, you listen to music when you're in a mood and you listen to the music that often reflects your mood. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. when I'm driving along, when I'm on a road trip with my kids, it's, it's you know, party time. It's I'm a rock star in my car, just ask me. Um, and, they're, you know, everyone's bopping along and sort of doing that stuff and that's kind of that space. But then... Other times when you like, you want to relax and be quiet and stuff. That's when you put on the the softer stuff and the quieter stuff, or the more melodic kind of tunes. Mm-hmm. So I think it's sort of similar. Yep. That how we consume content is really reflective of our moods and stuff. But yours can be a trigger as well. It sounds a bit. Absolutely, and again, sort of looking back these days, I'm I'm very self aware of my need to do that. Mm-hmm. So I. I'm quite conscious in my choice of things back then. And looking back, I can see that I wasn't. Mm. I would just read something because I enjoyed it. And I get very absorbed. Yeah. So I'm that person that, you know, the internet has opened up everything for me because you can finish one book in the series and then you can immediately have the next one because that's just amazing. Unless it hasn't been written and then I'm very sad. It's Well, it's not like when every year we got the Harry Potter books released oh. and it was the lines, dude, the lines. Yeah. But you'd wait. Yeah, oh, absolutely. No problems. Um, so let's go back to that <laughs> night again. So you were reading a book that was sort of, you were in a dark space. You picked a book that kind of reflected that and actually kind of didn't pull you out but kind of pulled you into it mm-hmm. further. Yep. And all this stuff is happening in your social space, which to be really honest, when, when we're that age, the, our whole world is our social circle, really. Absolutely. When we're little, it's our family. And then when we're teenagers, it's all about social and independence and who our friends are. It doesn't matter who your parents are. You couldn't give a rat's. It's who's your best mate. Mm-hmm. You know, what is your best mate doing? Who's cool? So having those things going on around you and then having this book pull you mm-hmm. further into a dark space. Yeah. So, and, and for me, the there is, you know, the, the normal thing of that age of your social circle being very important but because of other circumstances in my family I created my own family very young from my friends so my friends actually were family rather than than my parents and my sibling and everything else so I felt that that was even more magnified Mm. for me at that time and actually thinking about now I remember I was reading the um, Anita Blake novel so the science fiction fantasy vampire hunting necromancy like you know raising Mm -hmm. the dead that sort of stuff so yeah fairly intense and I think I was like five or six books into the series so it and I've reread them as as an adult and I can I can read a certain amount one after the other and then I actually have to stop because it's it's quite intense Mm. so I know I was reading those books and I I don't even know, like I couldn't tell you what made me think about it. It wasn't a conscious thought about, hey, you know, I'm feeling shit, let's go and, you know, self-harm. That's, it, it, I don't even think it was a conscious thought. It was just, I don't know, overwhelmed that I just, yeah. What did it feel like? 
didn't feel like a lot and I think I think that's what kind of intrigued me almost because I didn't actually feel anything like it wasn't it wasn't like dramatic or movie type self-harm it was you know um just you know reasonably superficial cuts initially that just it, it didn't do anything like it didn't hurt it didn't not hurt it was it was it's very strange mm. it's very strange um people have said to me before well you know you, you cut yourself you hurt yourself it it hurts why would you do it again and it's like because it it doesn't hurt it doesn't kind of yeah it doesn't have the pain that we associate with, no like if you cut your finger or something yeah no and I have a very low threshold of pain. <laughs> I'm a wuss. <laughs> a self-proclaimed wuss over here. Yes, uh, absolutely. So uh, the motivation for cutting was around those those emotions of feeling overwhelmed and feeling really anxious and feeling really stressed and traumatised by what was happening around you. How, what effect did the cutting have on those emotions? It was almost like a distraction because oh. I could do something about it. I was in complete control about everything about it. I could control what I did. I could control what I used. I could control how long, how deep, how many, and then patch myself up afterwards. I didn't have to involve a single other person at all. So let me see if I'm getting this. The, the value of cutting when you're so overwhelmed by all this stuff you can't control is because that's something that you can. I think so. Even though you're, you were saying like in your logical brain, you know this is, this is, not, this is poor life choice right now. Mm. But it's the only thing I can manage and control. That didn't have to involve any other person. Wow. How long How long were you self-harming for? <sighs> At that point in my life... Probably about about five or six months in a reasonably regular sort of space. Mm -hmm. um, it took me probably about that long. Again, the logical part of me knowing that this, this isn't right. This isn't, this is not a good choice. This is not an okay thing. What's actually happening here. Um, took me a while to sort of process through that and I have quite a well-developed fear of rejection so I knew that I actually I couldn't be responsible for other people's choices and that I should walk away 
it took a very, very long time for me to actually deal with the fear of what that actually meant. Hmm. So that me walking away doesn't make me a bad person if I can't cope with with what's going on because it's actually not my responsibility. So it took a very, very long time and it's still something I struggle with today. Um, so if I may, mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth works in a um, community services setting where uh, vicarious trauma and burnout is oof, rough. It's like a melting pot. Mm-hmm. So knowing that this is something that you've experienced, what pulled you into a space where it was going to be every day? <laughs> so you'd overcome this in your head and you're like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to sort of deal with this. And then you're like, you know what? From the frying pan of high school into the fire of community services, like have at it. What was that decision like? <laughs> it, yeah, when you say it like that, it sounds really <laughs> dumb. It was never my plan. It was it was never my plan to to be working in this space. Um, although it is, I guess. Uh, you see it quite often you know people that have experienced certain types of trauma will then go into to helping professions in order to almost they're like like the karmic debt so to give things back um it wasn't where I wanted to go um it was actually I went to university several years after finishing high school because I was a young one in my year anyway um and that was a spur of the moment decision on the train coming home from Parramatta at one point, just sort of going, I'm not really keen on what I'm doing. Um, what were you doing? Uh, <laughs> I'm actually a qualified drafts person. So drawing up, um, I worked for an environmental company drawing their dangerous goods plans. So for example, this chemical needs to be X amount of distance away from this chemical and a lot of my day was spent talking to councils going, but why can't we put it together? And I'm like, because it will explode. <clears throat> and having to find 10 different ways to say that so that they understand, go boom. <laughs> I'm not I sure did, I, that you can walk into a council meeting and go, kaboom. No, I did once. Um, I, it, was, it was a phone I'm meeting. So proud. And I actually <laughs> said to them, because it, it was not going through, but we want to put this together. We don't have that amount of space. I understand that, but if you put it together, it will go boom. And he was the, the guy on the phone was like, you're serious, aren't you? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I am. I am serious. I don't oh. enjoy spending my day telling people this stuff. But So yeah. you were doing that and you I weren't enjoying that. it. You're on the train, you're coming home, you're in Parramatta. And what happened in your head? Um, I just thought, I like learning. I don't want to have to say kaboom <laughs> in meetings. <laughs> Let's go. Let's give uni a try. And I'm like, oh, because it's probably about a, you know, 40 minute trip home on the train. I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I, again, this is before mobile phones and stuff. So I was just thinking and sort of going through different things in my head. And I thought, I'll do psychology because that was smart. <laughs> um, Oi, we're not that bad. I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, so it just kind of, it, it went from there. And I enjoy helping people. I just, 
you know, I had similar experiences through uni as well. Um, it made me really self-aware that this is where I can get to and I have to recognise the signs of when I'm getting to that point of this is too much and then being able to manage it. Mm. So how do you recognise when it's getting too much? Um, What's your tells? Generally speaking, um, I withdraw. So I get really quiet. I don't talk to people. I don't leave the house. I become very internal. Mm. Um, I have people in my life now that are aware of that and will call me out on it when they need to. But before that, so there was, there was a, a, a time when I was at uni as well and I was living on my own. Um, you know, first time out of home, it was a, a granny flat in my best friend's parents' backyard. But it was awesome. And I went through a period of where I'd stopped going to classes. I'd eat maybe three times a week. Um, you couldn't get me on the phone. Like, I was just completely cut off. And it was those sort of things that now I look back, I go, right, this is where I was at that time. I need to be aware that this is this is my pattern. This is what I do. I need to stop that from happening. So I have, yeah, people that are aware. Mm. Um, I'm one of those people that, oddly enough, I, I've stopped attaching shame to my behaviours and the ways of managing, so I'm quite open about it because I have to be. Why do you have to be? So that I can get the help to manage things. So that if I tell somebody, you know, this is what happens for me, this is what I do, and I, it's not everybody, obviously. It, it's the people in my circle that need to know, but I'm very open about it so that they can then come back and go, hey, I'm noticing this, what's going on? Mm. Is something going on? And that for me is often enough to sort of click into my self-awareness and make me stop and look and go, oh, okay, things are getting a bit much. I need to do something else. So it's almost like they pull you up earlier because mm -hmm. often when we're in that space, we can't see it until it's so far at the end of it. We're like, oh, yeah, no, the world's falling down, mm -hmm. burning all the ships in the harbour here. They kind of hold the role for you of pulling you up long before that when you've just lit one match before you flicked it at all the ships in the harbour and they go, um, sweetheart, what's happening? And that makes you more self-aware and it, because it, you're not aware that you're doing it yep. at that point. So they pull you up a lot earlier yep. so that you can stop that, that process, that pattern of behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Because, yeah, I don't see it when I'm doing it. It's not until afterwards that I can look back and go, oh, yeah, if I'd done something back at that point, I wouldn't be in this space at, at the minute. Mm. so when they do pull you up so like <clears throat> let's say I come banging on your door because I haven't heard from you you know let's say I'm your best friend I rock up what are you doing um you, you're ignoring my phone calls blah 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 what steps do you then take from that point so they've done their job mm -hmm. what do you what do you do now if it's gotten to that point I usually take a little bit of time and sort of stop and go, okay, she's worried about me to that point that she has to come here and 
make sure that I'm okay. And again, the people that are aware of this and, and have that role for me are not polite when it comes to um, okay. letting me know that something's going on and that they've noticed a change in my behaviour. Yep. It's, it's because it has to be because yep. I'm oblivious. Yeah. Um, and we can often be really defiant in that and go, no, we're fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yep. That's, that's right. So anyway. you need the people that are going to hold that mirror up and keep okay. holding it there and not okay. let you push it away. Yep. That's, that's exactly right. Tough um, love. Yeah, absolutely. But you need to be in a space where you can handle tough love and it can only come from certain people and you need to know when that – is that person going to give you appropriate mm. tough love and not let you just push them aside? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so once sort of that in that space, I'll sort of stop and go, have I actually been acting differently? And I'll look back and sort of be able to say – yep okay I have been acting differently there's something going on or it could be a case of no I'm just having a bad day or just having a bad couple of days and often I will go to that person and talk to them I find a lot of comfort in talking and bouncing ideas and Mm. and having things reflected back for me it helps me to process it so even if I'm just having a bad day, the fact that somebody has noticed enough of a change to call me out on it means, okay, we need to talk about whatever it is that's making me have a bad day. Mm. Is it work? Is it home? Is it, you know, Interesting. Whatever. So interesting to me. What I hear is you've said my uh, maladaptive behavior is to withdraw and go inside myself and get really internal and very quiet. The way to get me out of it is to literally do the opposite. It's like not letting you talk to yourself, <laughs> not letting the voices yeah. get too loud. Yep. Yep. And it's taken you that length of time to be able to learn that about yourself. Cause it's a hard thing to do when you want to go internal, when you want to use these maladaptive coping strategies to put something in place that is the exact opposite mm-hmm. of what is your default. Your default is to disappear. It's almost to ghost yourself. So to put yourself right, like to do the exact opposite, to be aware that that's what you need and then you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. It's going to be really hard. We're not going to do it. Just grit the teeth for the first five minutes. But then I'm going to feel relieved. Yeah. And that's why I need other people to essentially do that for me. Because if it was left up to me, it wouldn't happen. It's also, I'm really fascinated by how it's so different for you now as an adult who we talked about your trauma being vicarious trauma because you were in this circle in this social circle where you took it all on and and no one really took it on for you and now the social circle you sit in is very much about you take it on for them they take it on for you I've got you you've got me and there's a really different space that's totally different to, to operate in and obviously a lot healthier for you. But teenagers will do that. That's really normal for teenagers to, to – kids are selfish creatures. They're supposed to be. It's how they survive. Absolutely. For you to be able to learn that that doesn't actually work for you and you need something really different, I would imagine would close that circle right down. Hmm. Yep. I'm very, very selective about – the people in my inner circle. Mm. Um, basically, once you're there, 
that's that's it. Yeah, you're a lifer. <laughs> so there's there's not many. It's it's probably bigger than what you would expect. Um, but like I said before, my friends have always been family to me. Mm. So if if you're in that space for me, then that's what you equate to. So yeah, it is very limited. Um, and because you work in that in a space where vicarious trauma is so rife, it, it's not like it would be, I would imagine the need for that intervention wouldn't be rare. No, no not at all. So how do you go at, so the next step up from, from them banging down your door going, mate, we haven't heard from you in a couple of days, would be for you to reach out to them mm-hmm. and go, I'm not cool today. How's that process going to get there? Um, again, as I'm getting older, that's getting easier. I have, because I'm very selective in my circle, I have a lot of trust. So I know that the people that I can reach out to and say, you know what, today is not a good day. This is what's happened. I'm struggling with all of these things. I know that I will get what I need from those people. So whether it's just listening to me vent and then go, cool how are you feeling now or whether it's it's that reflection but also bringing the different lens to it bringing the different perspective so I may say you know x y and z happened today and I feel like shit because of it and having that other person go well actually yeah I get why you feel that way but have you looked at it from this perspective if you didn't do x yeah, why wouldn't have happened, but something else could have happened instead. And being able to go, yeah, okay. So it's sort of even because when we're feeling down, when we're feeling low, it's really hard to hold perspective, mm-hmm. but it's really easy to hold a space of almost, well, not a victim mentality, but a, you know, almost, I mm. guess. But to have someone else sort of not call you out on it, but kind of challenge that idea and go, hang on a mate, you've got accountability in this space too, actually helps you. Yes. It helps you to go, oh, okay, yeah, no, I can see what I was doing here. The other person may, may not realise that at the time. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you're hanging up the phone so, on them. Yep, yep. <laughs> I just go, no, that's not right. That's not it. You're supposed to be on my side. But. Again, the people in my circle are, are very astute at being able to go, do you just need to vent and just get off your chest what's going on or do we actually have to have a conversation about this and it's going to be tough for you but we'll have that conversation. And in some ways it kind of gives me back the control then as well of going, you know what, at this moment I need to vent. I know we're going to have a conversation about it later but right now I just need to vomit words at you about this is how I'm feeling and this is what's going on, all of the injustices and and all that sort of stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. Maybe tomorrow we'll have the conversation about it, but right now this is all I need. And then the other thing is I know that the people in my circle that I would do that to won't forget they're coming back to it tomorrow. So even if I go, oh, whoops, I've let it all out, now we're, we're done, we don't have to talk about it again, it comes back. And I would imagine from what you said before that that you can't ignore them at that point. Nope. 
they, no. they're coming knocking on the door anyway. <laughs> That's so exactly they're right. like, no, no, we said, we, <clears throat> I've put this in my calendar, mate. We're going to talk <laughs> about this. Don't hang up on me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which is what you want. You want that, mm. th- that really loving, nurturing circle around you. That's really awesome. Yeah. Thank you for coming in and sharing on our podcast today. You're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're more than welcome. Thank you for joining me for the Trauma Tales. A new episode will be released every fortnight and they will cover all areas and topics where trauma has occurred. I'm really looking forward to sharing these with you. If you'd like to follow our social pages, the links are in the show notes. Let us know what you think. If this episode of the Trauma Tales has impacted on you, please contact one of the following resources. Lifeline, Kids Helpline, 1-800-RESPECT, Men's Helpline. The contact details for each of these are in the show notes. Or if you would like to contact us to share your story on our podcast, or if you want to sponsor our show, please email us at thetraumatales, all lowercase, all one word, at gmail.com.